I don't know about you guys, but uh, I thought that was pretty awesome. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Acts chapter 6. Um, I know you guys had a, we've had a couple weeks out of Acts, and uh, we're going to start back into Acts again. And if you remember last time we gathered and looked at Acts, um, we had just seen the commissioning of several men, seven men in particular, um, to fulfill the role of, of what it looks like to be the uh, deacons. And... Stephen was one of those guys, and we see throughout this text um, the, the implementation of God's missions and God's plans. And all through the book of Acts, we, get, we have story after story after story of men and women who um, loved, followed, and preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the religious and the political landscape of that day was not welcoming to this message. Um, you see, when, when Jesus came into the arena of the religious day that he came into, there was uh, the Jewish religious community had a, a, a well-planned-out business model. And it was running like a well-oiled machine. And Jesus comes in and completely flips that machine on its head. And he starts to tell the world, this is what my message is. And this is what the Old Testament intended to, talk, to point you towards. This is what um, I have called this message to be. So Stephen has been named a man who is who's, he's fulfilling the role of deacon in the church. And he was doing what he's called to do. He's walking in the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's doing signs and wonders. So we're going to read. I'm going to look at Acts chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 8. So I want us to see this. And, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of freedom, as it was called, and the Cyturians and some of the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia and from Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom of the Spirit within him which was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God himself. And they stirred up the people and the elders of the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the whole, this holy place the law, and the law. For we now have heard from him saying, from, from, I'm sorry, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and it will change. <laughs> He'll change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now, we'll, we'll continue there in verse 15 in a minute. But I want us to see this. Stephen, who's been given a job in the church, he's full of grace and power and wisdom. And he's performing these signs and he's pointing everyone, he's preaching the gospel. He's pointing everyone back to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see men and women getting saved. Refer back to verse 7 there. You can see he says, and the word of God, Acts chapter 6 verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests, 
became obedient to the faith. So not only are the common people in this day coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, some that are in the religious, well-oiled machine of Judaism are coming to know Jesus, and it is not going well for the men in the church. It's not, it's not a popular message. The leadership in the Jewish community is not happy because not only are the common men and women coming to know Christ, also the priests are coming to follow and know Christ. Woo! So, and, and because of, like, they're upset. Like, the, the groups of these different synagogues are upset because, man, sinful people, sin does not want to be, does not want to go quietly into the night. It doesn't quietly want to just shrink away. It puts up a fight. And in the current religious and political climate, biblical Christianity is still not a well-received message. Now, in rooms like this, it's, it's a bit more welcome, but still in America today, churches are filled with people that if biblical Christianity is taught effectively, these people get a little nervous. They give the side eye to these messages sometimes. Talking about sin from the pulpit can sometimes have adverse effects on people in the room. They're going to get squirmy. They're going to get nervous. They're going to get um, a tad bit out of sorts. None of us like to have our sin exposed or talked about, including me. It, it's not a thing that I like as much as anybody else. Nope. How many of us in the room love to admit we're wrong? Nobody. How many of y'all like it when you're right? Let's try that. Yeah, we got more hands on that one. Everybody likes it when we're right. Nobody likes it when we're wrong. But here's the thing. Regardless of our desires, sin will be judged, period. We, have, we will either be covered for all eternity by the precious blood of Christ, or we'll be handed justice by a sovereign God for all of eternity in hell. There's no other options. The only way to find mercy is to enter into the ark of safety found only in the finished work of Christ on his cross. Repentance of sin and the belief in Christ alone is the answer to these things. And until men and women come to understand that they are sinful and in need of a savior, they cannot be saved. No one can be saved until they truly understand their sin and the egregious nature of their sin against the holy God. I'm a, I'm a prime example of that. I Man, I grew up in the church. I was in the pew. I usually sat over in this section where Darren's at. That was more that was normally my spot, and so that's where I sat. And for years, I had listened to the word be preached. And man, I was a I was a pastor's son, and I heard the word preached, but I didn't hear it. You, know, you anybody understand? I heard it. I listened. I was there, but I didn't hear it. And it was on a Sunday morning. Close to around this time frame, October, November of 1999, I was in church and I heard a message out of Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 through 28, talking about the religious Jews of that day. Jesus is preaching out of that text and when this text was preached, when this text was read, the Holy Spirit clipped my heart and it was me that he was talking about religious lost people it says woe to you teachers of the law Pharisees and you hypocrites you are like whitewashed tombs 
which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones and death and decay and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people righteous, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. The, I, I remember that day vividly. The, the, the quick was cut at that moment. I was brought to my knees over my sinfulness and realized at that moment, at 19 years old, that I was a man who was in, in danger of God's wrath, even though I was sitting in the room and knew, knew the words to sing. Man, I knew the songs. I knew how to sing those songs. I knew, the, the, I knew Bible verses. I knew all these things. And so at 19 years old, I, I struggled with this. I struggled with it. The good news was not good until I realized how bad I was. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those who are saved or being saved, it is the power of God. So there I was, and I had the word preached into my heart. The, the Holy Spirit ignited the word in my heart. And I came to realize that I needed him and I repented of my sins and I followed Christ. And this is exactly what's taking place in the book of Acts is Stephen and these men are, are preaching the gospel. And according to verse 7, the word of God was continuing to increase. And the number of the disciples grew and multiplied greatly in this town, Jerusalem. And many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so we've got the gospel being propelled out and men and women are being saved and following and being baptized and coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the political and religious landscape in that day are not welcoming to this because it is encroaching on their business model. It's encroaching on the business model. So that being said, it should not surprise us in the day in which we live that this kind of stuff happens in our world. Like, men and women do not like the truth being exposed, even though it's going to set them free. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus tells his disciples, If the world hates you, know this, that it hated me before it hated you. Period. Verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would have loved you and its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Biblical Christianity goes against a sinful, fallen world. Biblical Christianity goes against the grain of our current cultural experiences. Most people are not, or most people in churches, in, on the most part, are on a bandwagon style of Christianity. If they actually read the text and match it up and not just cherry pick verses out, they read it in context, they, they, they'd realize that a lot of the things that we believe, a lot of things that we hold to are not biblical. Many approach God from the standpoint of his, he's a personal genie in a bottle to grant them their wishes for their careers, their finances, their families, and to have a prosperous life. Um, we, we're looking for, if we just rub the Bible the right way and say the right phrases. I, I remember growing up in college, there was, a, there was a big book that came out. It was very popular. Um, it was called the Book of Jabez. And this whole book, it was a thick book that this guy wrote, that if you prayed this prayer, that God would expand your kingdom. He would, that's the exact wording he would use. He expands your kingdom to be able to do what you need to do because God wants you to have that. 
That was, the, that was the premise of the book. Pray this particular prayer that Jabez prayed and you'll expand your community, expand your, your, your influence and your, your kingdom. Nowhere taught in the text the way they expounded it in this book. And many approach this idea that Jesus is just sort of a holy genie. But Jesus is a sovereign king who calls us to die to our self-interest and to come alive to his plans, his interests, his goals, and his missions for us. You and I are not to tack God onto our plans. We are to submit to God's plan for our lives. Jesus has called Christians to be different. And sadly, what has happened is that in the fallenness of the world, what happens is the world can creep into the church doors. And occasionally, this thing that we've talked about over the last several weeks and, and not, being able, not, not being able to distinguish the holiness of God and the things of God from the world inside of the church, it, it becomes this strange menagerie and this show that is not biblical. And so this is why it's vital that we stick to the word of God. It is vital. Jesus said in, in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. He said, listen, you're, as if you read John 16 in its context, it's talking about all the things that are coming, all the, the ferocious things of the world. He said, I've told you these things that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation though, but, oh, but take heart. I've overcome this present world. So as we looked at a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 6, we see Stephen was one of these seven men who were picked to serve in the church, and he took his job seriously. He was living out his calling that God had called him to live. He was playing his part in advancing the kingdom in his surroundings, and he was making trouble for the enemy in the places where he went. He was filled with, with, with the Spirit, and he was ready to obey and follow Jesus regardless of of the cost and this is something that christians in 2021 must understand so stephen we'll go back and we'll read this text again just so we can get a vital understanding stephen was full of grace and power and do, and doing great wonders and signs among the people then now notice he's doing what he's supposed to do he's preaching the gospel he's signs and wonders and he's pointing everyone back to the cross of calvary and to the and the work of christ on that cross and we know that because he was doing this, that the kingdom was advancing. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of freedom, which I find that hilarious that they call themselves the synagogue of freedom, when in reality they were shackled down to a man-styled religion. Um, and there was other synagogues and other, other different Pharisees that came together and they dispute with Stephen. They start to argue with him in the marketplace. He's preaching in the public. And these people gather and they begin to, to dispute with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom of the spirit within him that was speaking. So they couldn't, even, they couldn't debate with him well. So what they did is they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together secretly. They gather together and said, this guy has got to be taken out. He's talking too much about Jesus. He's saying that we're responsible for his death. He, Jesus is going to tear down the temple. All, the, all this stuff's going to go bad. It, we can't have this. Which in reality, 70 AD, that's actually what happened. The temple was torn down. Jesus foretold it. He said it was coming. It happened in 70 AD. So notice what happens. And the scribes, they couldn't contend with Stephen because of the spirit within him. 
They couldn't, they couldn't handle him. He was, he was a powerful man of God because the Holy Spirit was indwelling in him. So, you see, when God is on the move, nothing is going to stand in his way, regardless of the political culture, the religious culture, the landscape that's happening. God doesn't need our permission to do anything, amen? God can do whatever he wants. God does whatever he wants. The world, it, 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 has, it can't stand against the holy God. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't have scoffers. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-9 through 9 tells us that there's coming a day that there's, there will be those that scoff against the things of Jesus. Let's look at it. I just want you guys to see it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-9 through 9 says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. Listen to me. I believe with everything in me that we are living in the last days. We are living in the days that have been foretold in the text that Jesus is coming and Jesus will make an appearance sooner rather than later. But knowing that, how do we know that? Because here's the thing, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following after their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of the water and through the water and by the word of God. And that, that by means of these, of these, the world that existed was flooded with water and it perished by the same way or by the same word the heavens and the earth now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction on the ungodly. The reason that the world is saying that Jesus isn't coming is because the enemy knows that when the day of the Lord comes, there will be utter destruction. And so there are people that are going to scoff at this idea just like they did in this day with Stephen. They scoffed at this idea. They mocked this idea. They said, there's no way that this is true. This Jesus was not God. They, they, they were adamant that Jesus was not who he said he was. But just because scoffers are around does not mean that we live in fear of what might happen or what they might say or do to us. We live in the truth of God's word. And this is exactly what Stephen was doing. He stood boldly on the word of God in an unpopular time to do so. God's word tells us that there will be a day and a time when people will not stand for sound biblical teachings and will accumulate for themselves teachers that will scratch the itchy ears of a self-made, man-made doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-7 through 7 gives us a little bit more into that as well. If you guys want to turn there, you can. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-7. through 7. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teachings, but will have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into fables and myths. As for you, beloveds, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And then he goes on in verse 6. He says, For I, this is Paul writing, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. 
So Paul, as he's writing these words in prison, was writing this letter, he knew that he was fixing to die. And why was he going to die? Because of his stance on the gospel. Because of his stance on Jesus. It, It was going to cost Paul his life. And this is still true today. It might cost you your life if you stand up for biblical truth. It might cost you your paycheck if you stand up for biblical truth. People in Jesus' day did not kill Jesus because he preached love, love, love. I know that we live in a world where they say, oh, Jesus just preached love, love, love. No, Jesus came and he pushed against the religious system that was there. The well-oiled machine of the Jewish community and the Jewish religious system was being exposed for what it was. Ungodly, wicked, and unbiblical. That's why Jesus died. Jesus died because a sinful man did not like their sins being exposed. And the same thing goes for Paul. And the same thing, and we're going to see in a couple of verses or a couple of chapters with Stephen, the same thing happened to Stephen. Stephen looks at the church and calls them all stiff-necked Jews. In chapter 7, he says, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised people. That was, a, that was the ultimate cut down that was the ultimate dig if you were uncircumcised you were dirty and filthy if you had a uncircumcised body an uncircumcised heart and being a stiff neck not listening to anything they didn't like that jesus did the same thing jesus called him viper called the religious people of the day in the synagogue said you you brood of vipers you snakes how dare you so what did they do They killed Jesus because he had a message that went against the world. You and I live in a fallen world. We live in a world where no one listens to the gospel. We don't like the gospel because it rubs against our desire to sin and our desire to be right. The same thing goes for all these other men in here. So let's look at verse 3 of chapter 4 in 2 Timothy. It says, A time is coming, brothers and sisters, A time is not coming, a time is here. The time is here. There are more heretical teachers in the Christian churches than solid biblical truth. You have to hunt for solid biblical truth in 2021. People will accumulate and gather for themselves preachers that will do what they want them to do and say what they want them to say. As a guy down in Tulsa, uh, the name of the church, I'll, I'll call the church out. It's Transformation Church by a guy named Michael Todd. Um, he was just on the Today Show. He got up on the Today Show and, and Ho, Hoda on the Today Show said, turn around and said, I am so excited for this interview. This pastor has revolutionized my life. And I was like, okay, I want to watch this interview. So I watched it. And she said, your book, Crazy Faith, has literally transformed how I see God. So if I, if I have this, she, this is the direct quote she said, if I have crazy faith like you call me to have crazy faith, then I can accomplish my dreams. That's not the gospel. That I have crazy faith so that I can open my hamburger stand. So I have crazy faith so I can open up my coolie stand or write my book or grow this or do this or accomplish my finances. That is not the gospel. It's the same idea of any like Zig Ziglar or Tom, uh, all these other gurus, speakers that do motivational seminars. It's the same idea, but 
packaged in a Christian wrapping paper. You want to chase your dreams? You want to have crazy faith? You got you to gotta do this. And man, that sounds good. It sounds really good. Most people say, yes, amen, amen. I went through Todd, Michael Todd's Instagram and watched his stories and things. And people are going, buying these books off the shelf. Literally one person, like multiple people go into Target and they were just taking this book and shoveling all 10 of them off the shelves into their cards and say, I'm giving this away as a gift so we can transform the world. It's not good. Like... This kind of faith that they're talking about here is a self-centered, narcissistic faith that's going to cause us to want to achieve our dreams and not die to ourselves. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for a sinful mankind. And it's dangerous to have this kind of doctrine. Jesus did not die on the bloody cross of Calvary and was buried for three days and came back out of the grave three days later so that you could accomplish and achieve your dreams. That is not why Jesus came. And we, have, we live in an American gospel, or an American gospel. It's not a biblical gospel, it's an American gospel that, listen, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can accomplish and do and be whatever you want. Just like the Jews in Stephen's day, they had a religious system that said, listen, if I do this, then I can appease God. If I, if I fast, if I give, if I go to this church service, if I do this, 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 and this, then I can get what I want. Jesus Christ did not die on the bloody cross of Calvary so that I could open up my hamburger stand or, or start my real estate business. <laughs> he came to transform sinful, stone-cold, dead hearts back into beating flesh. Amen? That's why Christ came. And just like in Stephen's day, none of these men wanted to be confronted on their sins, but sometimes it is needed. People say, like, listen, there's, every time I've preached somewhere, done something, been a part of something, I've had people come up to me and say, man, you were, you were talking right, you were, ta- you were talking about me. Were you in my house listening? Were you in my family dispute this week? Did you hear what I said? No. No. I'm not pointing a sermon at any single human being other than Caleb Gordon. As I'm writing these sermons, as I'm prepping these messages, I read the Word and the Word does its heavy lifting on my heart and says, Caleb, there's where you're sinful. There's where you need to repent. This is what you need to do in your life, Caleb. If anybody's being pointed at, it's me. I'll never forget, I had this crazy youth pastor in my life one time. He said, anytime you're pointing one finger at somebody, you've got four pointing back at yourself. So I just, he was crazy, I always thought, but it stuck with me. It stuck with me. <laughs> There's going to come a day and a time when people in church will turn from the truth of the Bible and wander off into myths and to fables. And that's what's happening to people in the day. Rather than having a biblically centered message, they want a motivational seminar that's going to make them feel like they can accomplish and take on the world. That's, that's not what we need. We need to have a message of death to self and rot, being raised into newness of life in Christ. And rather than teaching biblical principles that are rooted and grounded in the Bible, we're starting to get into stuff that's mysticism in this day and age. Like in the culture today, in churches today, there are churches that have what's called Christian yoga. 
And they are allowing the mixing of the teaching of Hinduism and Christianity in the church. This kind of stuff isn't brand new. This stuff's been around forever. There was, a, there was worship of Baal and Jehovah that happened in the Old Testament. There was uh, uh, worship of Ashtar and Jehovah. They mixed this weird, if you read in Revelations, some of the churches, remember we went through that with the seven churches, they would mix the teachings of Jehovah and Ashtar and have some sort of sex Bible study. It was the only thing I can think to say about it. It's what it was. It's just a strange, weird thing that, that just was weird. And so we've got this thing in churches where we've got these ladies who start these Christian yoga classes where they come in and they set their mats out and they do their downward dog poses and all the things that they do. I remember Jamie taught a young ladies Bible study at a camp for a week. She was in charge of the ladies, the young ladies, and she, and she caught some heat over that. Because there were several ladies in churches that had this Christian yoga thing. And they said, well, wait, we focus on Jesus. And you read the material and it talks about clearing your mind. Clear your mind from distractions. God's word never tells us to clear our minds. God's word tells us to be sober-minded, to keep our minds focused on Christ. And when you have this Christian yoga, what you're doing is you're paying honor and homage to Barama, Vishnu, and Shiva, the three primary gods of the religion of Hindu. And you're tacking Jesus in the middle of it. You're going to throw a Bible verse in the middle of this, this Christian yoga stuff. This is happening in Bible, in Christian churches today. It's happening. Um, and, and along with that, other churches, there are a lot of, even in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, I can think of at least three churches right now that have started Sunday school classes gathered around the idea of the Enneagram. The Enneagram is, is pushed out as a personality profile and there's like nine or ten different Enneagram personality profiles. And it's a Christian idea that they have this thing that, that you know, if I can just find out my purpose in life, then I can, I can do this. And what's your personality trait? Is it, are you an Enneagram 7, 8, 9, 1, 2? What are you? And so we've got this whole idea that goes around this, this idea of following this personality program. And if you actually do your homework, the Enneagram was based in satanic teachings. It was, it's founded on satanic principles. I mean, even the word Enneagram sounds creepy. <laughs> like it doesn't sound, oh, that sounds awesome. Enneagram, that sounds really pentagram. It sounds really strange, right? And they've got Sunday school groups and small groups that are based around this, uh, this satanic-rooted teaching and philosophy. And you say, well, Caleb, how does that happen? Because we move away from God's word into what we want to do. And listen, Verse 5 of 2 Timothy says, As for you, beloved, be sober-minded and endure suffering. Be sober-minded, be sober-minded, be sober-minded. This is an idea that's pushed out in Christianity all throughout the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us to be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Like Satan is looking for a way to devour us. And listen, sometimes he devours us with good things. Sometimes he devours us with things that don't look that menacing. Biblical Christianity calls you and I to be sober-minded thinkers. And our thoughts are to be grounded and rooted in Jesus Christ. We're never called to just blank out and space out and clear our minds. We're called to be quiet and to listen and to focus on Christ. Hmm. 
And when we do this, we're not going to fall for the traps of the enemy. Just like Stephen, back in Acts chapter 6. Stephen was fulfilling his ministry, and he was full of grace and full of power, and the enemy did not like that. And here's the thing. In the day in which we live, when you stand for biblical truth, there will be those in the church that will attack, ostracize, and belittle you for standing on biblical truth. And what's crazy if you look back, if you eat, if you look back at the stance of the scriptures, this is what like when we see this, the stance that we take for biblical Christianity will cause us to be ostracized because people are neck deep in this stuff. Like when we when Jamie said, "Listen, Christian yoga is not Christian at all. It's actually the mixture of two different religions, which is expressly forbidden in God's word." Man, she had women that came up to her afterwards saying, "How dare you? How dare you teach this to our children? I do Christian yoga. Well, you need to repent and stop doing it. Period." Well, I, I'm in a, I'm in an enneagram class with Caleb. What do I need to do? Stop it. Shut it down and stop looking at that stuff. It's satanic in nature. It's small incremental pieces. Listen, most rat poison has got a majority of good food in those little pellets. It's only just a little bit of poison, but it'll still kill a rat. We need to be careful. We've got to be careful. And you say, well, Caleb, why do you think people do this? Why, do, why, do, why is this so popular in the world today? Why is this so popular? And the reason this stuff is popular is because people desire. God's given, a, you have a, every one of us in this room have a God-given desire to have our purposes fulfilled. We all have purposes that we want to fulfill. Period. But rather than seeking Christ, first and foremost, we look for answers outside of the Bible because this is not popular. When you start to say, hey, this is what the Word of God says, people don't like that. When you say, this is what God's Word says about this particular situation, I don't like that. Well, what's the Enneagram say? What's my Christian yoga class tell me to do? What's this tell me to do? What's the newest, trendiest book, my crazy faith book, what's that tell me to do? We're called to look to Christ and to His Word. This this idea that we follow, follow the things outside of the Bible has to change. Has to. Because looking for purpose outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ will do nothing other than frustrate you and fill you with a, a type of self-righteousness that will destroy you in the end. We need to find our purpose in Christ. Just as Stephen did. He stuck to the gospel. He stuck to the word of God and he was full of grace and he was full of power. Whose power? The Lord Jesus' power. Because what did it say? As they tried to dispute with him, they could not withstand the wisdom of the what? The spirit which he who was speaking. So he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't full of Stephen. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And when this sign of stuff shows up, and tries to convince you that we need to have the next gimmick, we need to have the next program, this is going to be the answer, and it's outside of the gospel, we need to change that mindset. And look at that last verse in verse 15 of Acts 6. And gazing at him, the, the groups looking at him, all who sat in the council saw his face, it was like the face of an angel. He was full of the Holy Spirit, 
And in chapter 7, we'll see here in the next several weeks in chapter 7, these high priests, they're looking at him and say, Stephen, is this, really, is this really what you believe? And then Stephen unpacks in this speech in chapter 7 unfathomable information about how we've got a man-made system. Like, Listen, we think that we're so sophisticated in 2021. We are just exactly the same way that... The, this idea of a works-based thing. We've got to do certain things in order to appease God. We have to stop and we've got to read God's word. We have to entrench ourselves in the gospel and trust the gospel. Not some gimmick, not some program, not something that's coming down the, the world's path. Like, listen, I believe that we are on the precipice of the Lord returning. I believe that we are on the precipice of a full-fledged... The, 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 the world is telling us what they're doing. The enemy around us is telling us what they're doing. They say, listen, we're going to have the great reset. It's coming. They're calling for this now. They're no longer in the shadow, dark closets talking about this in private. They're in public squares saying, listen, by 2030, the great reset will happen and you will own nothing and you're going to be happy. That's what leaders are saying in the world today. This is happening. The, we can't sustain where we are economically, politically, Everyone's divided over everything. We're divided over vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Masked versus unmasked. Uh, white versus black. Religion, denomination versus... Like we're all fighting. There's this huge thing that's coming. And Jesus tells us all through the Bible, says, listen, in the last days, here's what's coming. In the last days, this is what's happening. In the last days, be aware, there are going to be perilous times that will come. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be hardships. For people who are going to be lovers of selves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treasonous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, we're right there. we got people that are in love with pleasure and love with having a good time rather than being in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the while, they've got this appearance on their social media and their Instagrams that, man, listen, I'm a Christian. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I love God. I do that. Do you? Do you love God? Do you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust Him? Or are you trusting in some sort of man-made religion that has the appearance of godliness but lacks any power? Stephen stuck with the gospel. Full of grace and God's Holy Spirit, he stood for the truth in a day when truth did not like to be stood against. Or tr the, the truth didn't like to be stood for. People did not want to hear the truth of the gospel. These men could not withstand Stephen. And so they gathered together and they started saying, listen, this guy, he's speaking against Moses. He's blaspheming against the word of God. Uh, we don't like him. We got to take this guy out. We got to take this guy out. He's saying that we killed Jesus, which they did. Uh, they're saying Jesus is going to tear down the temple, which he did. Um, all this stuff's taking place. I don't like it. We got to shut him up. And we'll see what happens to Stephen in the next coming weeks. But man, I'm telling you, the day in which we live, we've got to stand on biblical truth. Because I don't care what happens in 10,000 years, my political party that I'm a part of will not be here in 10,000 years. But you know who will be here in 10,000 years? Jesus Christ. 
You know what we'll be standing on in heaven? The word of God, not the Republican or the Democratic Party. We'll be standing on the word of God alone. And so we've got to anchor ourselves to the word of God and trust the word of God and say, God, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to live in grace and power and I'm going to propel the gospel. I'm going to advance the kingdom and I'm going to lead men and women to do the same. And I want to make trouble for the enemy. And I'll stand by that. I want to make trouble for the enemy. And I want a church that makes trouble for the enemy. And I want us to propel and advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to those that were in our inner circles. Those that we have influence over. I believe we can do that. Amen? Let's stand together.